So um, if you are on our Facebook page, if you are following us on Facebook, if you don't get our Facebook posts in your feed, we don't do them like every day or anything, but you know, there's a, a setting on there where you can say follow first, which means the people that you put in that category always come to the top of your timeline. So you actually see what we're posting. Great idea if you don't get those posts. But yesterday we posted something that said we're moving into uncharted territory. Anybody see that? We posted about how great, great, wow. So all of you should today go and follow first so that you see our posts. Um, but we're moving into uncharted territory today. We're actually continuing a series we started last week and diving much deeper. And it's a series on discipleship. Okay. It's a series on discipleship. So there I said it. So now you know. So it's not like something that's not unheard of. But here's what I think. I think most of us relate to the word discipleship in a myriad of ways. I think if we took a poll, some of you would be like, I don't even know what discipleship is. Like, are you saying Dunkin' Donuts? Like, what is that, right? And some of you guys are like, oh, I've been there, done that, never doing that again, and everything in between, okay? So regardless of how you relate to this word, my hope and my ask of you this morning is set aside your preconceived notions, hear me out. And then you can pick them up when you leave. Okay? Sound good? So set aside any of your feelings about discipleship so we can dive into this together. We all relate differently. And I don't know if you've been coming regularly this summer or if you've been catching our podcast after the fact of Sunday morning. Um, you've noticed that we've been dropping this word discipleship over the summer. It's been intentional. We've been giving you little carrots, you know, like Hansel and Gretel, little crumbs leading you to a good place, not a bad place. When I said that, I forgot that story ends really bad. So <laughs> erase that out of your mind. But, um, <laughs> but we've been dropping these breadcrumbs about discipleship and we are diving really deep today. And if you remember a few weeks ago, I shared a message with you guys. Now I know every single one of you remembers everything I say Every message I do, everybody could recite the points I'm about to say from this marriage. And thank you for this message. Thank you for that, right? Thank you for listening so intently um, and paying such close attention. But if you are like the 1% of people who can't remember what this message was about, let me fill you in. We talked about the crowd, the followers, and the disciples, okay? Maybe this is ringing some bells for you guys. So the crowd, the followers, and the disciples in the New Testament. And we talked about how Jesus actually relates to each of those categories differently. Remember, how he instructed and led the crowd was very different than how he instructed his disciples. And then we talked about how what God is after is for all of us to decide to be a disciple, right? The crowd are those who follow God when it's convenient to them. Like when the parade has just happened to be in front of their house, then they'll be found there, right? When there's nothing better to do, then they'll come. That's the crowd. The followers are those who are like, I'm going to go, and they're kind of a little bit skeptical maybe. They're a little bit trying to figure out what they feel about it. They're asking questions, but they're not totally sold out yet. And then the disciples are those who are like, I don't care, I'm in. I don't care what you ask me to do, I'm in. How do you know if you are a disciple? It's this simple. It's not just that Jesus is your God, but that he is your Lord, right? How do you know if you're a disciple? It's that you have made the choice. Jesus, it's not just that I believe you are the son of God, right? You can be a follower of God and, and that can be what you say, but it's taking it deeper and saying, I believe you are my Lord or what we would call in today's language, you are my master, Ooh. right? We don't like that word in 2019. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. 
And I get that because I don't either, right? But there's something about saying, Jesus, you are my master. What you tell me, I will do. I will come in line with the way you've told me to live. That's what a disciple is. And so we're all called, I believe, to become disciples. It's really, really important for us. So, all right, that's a recap of that message. So we're going to talk about what's required of being his disciple. So for the sake of today, I'm assuming all of you have decided, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. So if you're not there yet, that's okay. You can take that up with the Lord later. But just pretend you are to hear me out for the rest of what we're talking about, okay? It's my personal conviction that every disciple is required to make disciples, okay? Let me just say that again, and I know I'm inching up to some of those toes. It's my personal conviction and our personal conviction that every disciple is required to make disciples. Now, let me show you why. Can you throw this up on the screen, Cody? We've got the big verse, verse of the Bible that everybody knows, right? The Great Commission. It's probably the first one you memorized if you were in any kind of a Bible school or anything like that. But this is looking at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Now, let me just tell you before we, you can read it, but before we dive into it. Anybody familiar with ghost mode Jesus? No? This is like the, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, but it's like a really, this is how I consider the 40 days after the resurrection before the ascension. No? Ghost mode Jesus? Think about it. He rose, he rose from the dead, and then he hadn't ascended to heaven yet, and he was like just appearing to people, right? I would have loved to be there because when he appeared, he was actually flesh, but he would just come out of the air. Like they're in a room, all the doors are shut, and it's, oh, Oh, hey, Jesus, how did you get in here, right? It's ghost mode, Jesus, right? Okay, forget I said that. Anyways, all my jokes are bad today, forgive me. Um, but in this period of time, Jesus, he's resurrected, and he's instructing the disciples, and he's telling them all kinds of mysteries. He's tying the dots of what he had taught them while he was on the earth, and he's teaching them about what's to come. What an amazing 40 days of life that these disciples had, right? And then this is the end. This is the last words, the final moment before he is either enveloped into the cloud or taken into the sky, depending on which translation you read. So here's what it says. It says, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And go, therefore, and make disciples. Everybody say, make disciples. Make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, guys, it's time. He's saying all the authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, we're at that point now where I have the ability to do this, to tell you to do this, right? And he says it's time for you to take your place as I've been teaching you. What does he say? Go make disciples into all the world. There's no discrimination here. All people. There's other verses where Jesus talks about preaching the gospel to all creation, right? So if you don't have anybody in your life or you're super introverted, you could start by preaching to the flowers in your yard. That got weird, right? We had this tree in our house. We our first house we lived in in Norman. We bought the house in like April. We moved to Oklahoma in June. So there was like this two-month time frame. Now, you guys know I have black thumbs, right? You know I can't keep anything alive. And so I don't know why it never occurred to me to make sure the tree got water at the beginning of summer in Oklahoma. We were not living here yet. We didn't know. So we arrived, and the tree was dying. And I was like, what? This was this beautiful tree, you know, in the front of the yard, and, it, and then it did die. And so we called that tree Delilah because that was bad. And um, I would go out to that tree every day. This is so weird, okay? I should have taken a picture of it. I would go out to that tree, and I would say, I was being silly, all right? But I would say, Delilah, wake up. 
be healed. You know, I'd be out in the yard and I'd be, come on, tree. We bought this house because you're here. Come on. And we never took it down. I don't know why. We just left it dead. Gosh, it's embarrassing. But we did. Anyways, today we've owned this house for 10 years in Norman. Today the tree is thriving, guys. It's thriving. Now, I'm not taking credit for that. I'm really not. I'm just saying we can preach the gospel to all creation. Okay, back on track. So Jesus is there in this moment, and he's telling them all, make disciples. Now, the disciples he was talking to were all the people who were bought in at that moment. This was not just the 11, right? This was post-Judas. This was not just the 11. This was not specific to those called to vocational ministry. Let me throw a statistic at you here. I have heard it said about last year, so I'm not sure when the statistic was done, but sometime recently, that only about 1% of the entire population is called to vocational ministry. Only about 1%. What does that mean? That means you make your living working at a church, right? 1% of 7 billion people. Can we reach the world if all of this rides on that 1%? No. No. It's not going to happen. Think about it this way. Of that 1%, my guess is half of them are support staff roles, meaning administrative roles, production roles, stuff like that, right? So only about half or less percent are people who are with a microphone on some sort of regular basis. It is not possible to reach the world for Jesus if we're putting it all on this half percent of the population. And Jesus knew that, and he didn't do that. He gave this command to all of us, right? To all of us. We are all called to make disciples. It's not possible to reach the world if we don't. All right, so Grant's going to bring this board up for me so you guys can see it. Today, what we're going to do is we're doing an overview of what I call the five interactions that we have to the concept of discipleship. I could not make that a more abstract sentence, right? So let me say it one more time. These are the five interactions that we all have to the concept of discipleship. Thank you, Grant. You make a great Vanna. Um, Isn't this board amazing? Chad built this for us last year. So awesome. Um, All right. So these are, in my opinion, these are the ways that we relate to discipleship. So I'm going to do an overview of these, and we're going to camp out on one of them today. And then over the next two weeks, we're actually going to be breaking these down on a very practical level for you guys. So the first one is the diamond in the center. All right. Here we go, my same bad jokes. We're just completing them. But turn to your neighbor and just tell him, you know, you shine bright like a diamond. Bonus points if you do it in your best Rihanna uh, accent. So, all right, so your diamond time, right? The first way we interact with the concept of discipleship is with God himself. Every single one of us is being discipled by God himself. I think this is something we forget, but it's true. So I drew this pretty little sunshine cloud thing because you are united with him and he's united with you and it doesn't really make sense, but there you go. So um, you, are, you are being discipled by God. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, right? I believe that's in Hebrews. The Bible also tells us it's the anointing that teaches us. So you are being taught by God. You are being led by God. You are being made a disciple by God himself. Now, before we dive into these other categories, let me just say, what is the goal of discipleship? Think about it for a second in your mind. What's it, what is it working towards? Why do we do this? What's the goal? The goal of discipleship is to make people like him. Super simple. The goal of discipleship is to make them like him. So if you're parents and you have children in the home, these are your disciples. And it's your job to make them like him. 
Now, make is a strong word, right? We're not saying we control them to, like, force them into some sort of thing. But we become, if you think about it like a triangle, like if this is, you know, God and this is you and this is your discipler, like the person you're discipling, then this is, your goal is to make this triangle smaller. Do you guys understand that? It's kind of like a midwife or like a tutor. I'm here in your relationship between you and God. I'm not trying to make you like me. I'm trying to make you like him right? I'm trying to help you understand how did he make you, and then I'm trying to help you become like him in that way. When Paul says, follow me like I'm following Jesus, he is not saying because I'm the best one there is here. I think somehow in our American individuality, that's how we read that verse. Like, well, Paul said, follow him, so you should follow me, and I don't like that you do that, so stop doing that. That's not what it's saying, right? What Paul is saying in that verse is, listen, borrow my faith until you figure your own out. He's saying, okay, you don't know how to pray. Borrow my way of praying and then let it kickstart you into how you pray because I'm following Jesus and you're, I can tell you Paul was not saying come follow me as your God, right? That, was, that would be so offensive to him. And so when we're making disciples, our goal is to make them like him, not like us, Right? All right, so interaction number one, how you are relating to God and how God is discipling you. The second interaction that we have is with pre-Christians. So I know you guys are like, what the heck is a pre-Christian? Well, it's semi-self-explanatory, I would think, but let's think about it this way. Grant loves this term, and it's grown on me. Um, Every person is made in the image of God, right? All of us are brothers and sisters, whether they know God created them or not, correct? So then those who have chosen not to follow the Lord, at least for right now, They are still in the family, they just don't know it yet. So we're going to call them pre-Christians. We're not going to call them lost people or people who are, you know, whatever you refer to them in your private conversations. We're going to call them pre-Christians. They just have not understood who God is yet because when you know the goodness of God, you can't stay away. Amen? Amen? So you will learn in a few weeks why this person that's discipling is holding a bunch of arrows. It will make sense to you in a few weeks. But the first category is pre-Christians. I believe there's something that we all need in our lives to be in relationship with someone who doesn't know God. It actually does strengthen your faith. It really does. For some of us, it's a family member that we've been ministering to, we've been talking to. For some of us, it's a stranger, some is a neighbor, whatever. But I believe we all need someone in our life that doesn't know Jesus. This is something that I've really been convicted about lately, just being honest. And I've been looking for relationships in my life because it's been a while. And so I've been looking for relationships of people who don't know God, and I'm trying to get myself excited about spending time with them. Because we're not called to a bubble. We're called to make disciples, right? This is how we bring glory to the Lord. All right, that's the first one. This, uh, that's second, category two. Third category is mentoring. Now, I think we all understand this category, and probably most of us, when we hear discipleship, we think mentoring. So in this diagram, you see a larger person and a smaller person. Mentoring is the type of discipleship that is someone who is beyond where you are to helping you. These are like spiritual fathers and mothers. They're growing you up. They're like a greenhouse for you. They're nurturing you. They're encouraging you, right? And I believe if we are going to be healthy people, we need interactions with all five of these spaces, okay? Now, here's the thing about mentoring. Mentors come and go. We don't always have a mentor with us all the time. And this is why it's not the only mode of discipleship. Because if you needed a mentor always, then what happens if you move away? What happens if you, you know, don't, if that person leaves for whatever reason and then you're kind of stuck, right? So mentoring is one of the categories. We're diving into that a little bit next week as well. 
All right, uh, interaction number four, this one right here, peer groups, okay? So the, this is your kumbaya circle. Just kidding. These are your friends. These are kingdom friendships. These are, if your spiritual, if your mentor, like your spiritual father or mother is calling you up, these are the ones who are calling you out. These are the ones who see your life and are like, hey, did you know you do that? Have you thought about how that affects your family or yourself or your life with God, right? They don't have to be super intense. They're not necessarily accountability groups, but these are what the Bible calls marvelous comrades. In 1 Kings, I believe it is, when David is referring to Jonathan, his best friend, he calls him a marvelous comrade, right? That's what these are, kingdom friendships where you are supporting one another, you're in each other's lives, and you're taking your relationship with Jesus seriously together. These are not chit-chat groups. These are not meme text threads, right? These are groups where you get, I don't know if you guys have those, like some, some of my friendships, our whole texts are just GIF after GIF, or if you call it GIF after GIF, whichever you want to call it, you know, but just funny things. It's not that. It's something deeper. It's saying I'm showing up to this time ready to go into my heart and talk about what's going on in my life, okay? We're diving into these again uh, next week as well. So the last category, what we're going to spend our time on this morning is the category of equipping times, Okay. So you got the teacher and a school-type setting here. That's what this is. Now, I think most of us don't consider equipping times as a part of our discipleship. I don't know about you, but this was the last mode for me to click into when I would think, oh, I want to be discipled. The last thing I'm thinking about is like a classroom-type setting. Because typically, discipleship is some sort of relational component. But I just want to say to you, I believe and we believe here that one of the best ways you grow is by learning from someone who knows what you don't know. And that is discipleship as well. I think when we step up to a situation, our perspective determines what we receive out of it. So if I think I'm coming into this just because it's going to be a good thing for me, I'll get something good out of it. But if I show up thinking I am going to be discipled in this moment, then I come with an open heart, I come ready to receive, and I get to glean and hear more. Amen? So I want to go into a couple different ways of how the equipping times in particular are um, opportunities for discipleship for us. So the first one is books. Anybody read a good uh, book from a Christian author that's helped you in your faith recently? Anybody? Great, some of you. That's awesome. I remember being in a conversation years ago with someone, and they said, man, I wish so badly this person could disciple me. Wouldn't that be amazing if they discipled me? And somebody else in the conversation looked and said, well, didn't you read their book last week? They were like, well, yeah. He goes, well, then you were discipled. I remember sitting there thinking, that is such a weird concept, right? But it's true, especially if you approach your reading as I'm learning and I'm gleaning in this time. Um, about like 11 years ago, Grant and I had the joy of taking a dozen or so young people to the um, country of Tunisia. It's on the north side of Africa. It's an Arab nation, so don't think African. It's actually an Arab nation. It's a Muslim uh, culture. And we took uh, some kids from a training school. They were young adults from a training school. And we had Eli. He was like eight months old. We flew across the world with him, our little blonde-haired, blue-eyed baby. So if you don't know, in a Muslim culture, blonde-haired, blue-eyed babies are not prevalent. Okay, so he was the star of Tunis at the time. We would put him in a little stroller, and it was like droves of people would come out, and they wanted to touch his hair and squeeze him and hug him. And it was, he was like bait. This sounds so bad. I'm going to regret saying that. 
But what we were doing there was making relationships with people. And he was a magnet. It's a much better way to say it. Forgive my external process moment. <laughs> he was a magnet of people coming. And, and it was like, hey, let's talk, right? And we gave everybody on the team. We had these cell phones. And then we would connect with people. And our goal was make relationships, go to tea with them, talk about their spiritual life, and see who was open. There's a church planting word for that. It's called looking for people of peace. And that's what we did. We spent a month there with a couple of um, families that lived in that city that were planting a church at the time. And, um, and so we did. We just went out every day. We just met people. We interacted with them. We took them to tea. We started talking about God. And then some of those relationships would get to the point of sharing the gospel. It was an amazing time. I brought a book with me there called Supernatural Power of a Transformed Mind by Bill Johnson. It's the first thing I had ever read or heard of from Bill Johnson. And so because I had Eli with me, he would have a nap every day, right? That's what it's like when you're a mom with little ones. So I had the joy of going back to the hotel every day and having like two hours to myself while Eli napped while everybody else was out sharing the gospel. So I read this book. And every day I read it, and I was transformed by being discipled by the content in this book. And so I went to Tunisia one way, and I came home enlightened and excited in a completely different way. Why? Because I had opened my heart to someone I have never met, someone I probably will never know, don't need to know, right? Now, do I call someone who I've read all their books a spiritual father? No, because that requires some sort of relationship. But can I say I have been discipled? 100%, right? You can go back through some of those books and I can show you every page was underlined because God was working on me. So your books, those resources, those are one of the ways that you are discipled. I just want to encourage you, the next book you read by an author that you really respect, when you open the book, just open your heart to be discipled by it and see if it's a different experience for you, okay? Second category um, in this particular um, interaction is conferences. So if you've been around Grant and I at all, you know we love to go to conferences. We have been to dozens and dozens of spiritual growth conferences in our 15 years of marriage. And what we've done with the conferences is we've said, listen, we want to go learn from people who are better than us, who are farther along than us, who know what they're doing way more than we do. And we want to put ourselves in that room and glean from them. This is part of how we have been discipled. It's a priority to us, not just because we think it's fun to travel and go somewhere else, but because we're opening our heart and saying, God, what do you have from me in this time? Amen? So it's just another way. There's a great couple of conferences coming up if you're like, wow, I need that. Um, Global Awakening, our network, our church network has some amazing events. One is in October called Voice of the Apostles. One is in April called Voice of the Prophets. And they've got some other ones as well. Man, great times and opportunities for you. Um, I was in... Uh, we were with our network, with pastors in our network in May in Pennsylvania at a pastor's conference, and I was listening to this man. He's a Brazilian pastor named Carlito Paez, okay, and he spoke in Portuguese, and they did a translator, and the whole time I was sitting there taking, I think I had like five pages of notes from his two sessions because he was discipling me about what it looks like to be a pastor in living out the Bible in today's world, Right? And so do I know him? No. Do, you know, can I text him? Of course not. But I was discipled by him in that moment. You guys tracking with me? All right. Um, last two things I want to talk about in that. Church. Everybody say, oh, no. She's going to talk to me about coming to church. I am. And here's why. I shared this with you guys a few weeks ago. But, um, you know, there's some new statistics and data that come out about church coming, people who come to church, attendance. And it's interesting because in today's world, People come to church about once or twice a month 
The average churchgoer comes once or twice a month. Now, this is not at all a conviction or anything like that type message, okay, or statement. I'm just telling you the facts. And even those who are in their heart feel very committed to the church they're in, they still typically make it about twice a month. So if there's 52 Sundays in a year and you come twice a month, you're getting about 26 church moments a year if you only come on Sundays. It's not very much if you think about it. And I have a Facebook post from a few weeks back. You can look at all the math that I did to show you what percentage of that that is in your life. It's very low. I think it was like 0.3% if you come twice a month is, you know, the amount of time in your year. But anyways, when you come to church, a lot of us come for different reasons. Some of us come because we think we're supposed to. Some of us come because we feel good. Some come because we want to see our friends, right? All of those are good reasons. A lot of us come because we feel this sort of obligation to be a part of the body, but we don't really know why we're there. And there are churches out there, great churches, who go to great lengths to be very non-confrontational in their Sunday morning, okay? They go to great lengths to where they don't confront you in your thinking so that they're, and their mode is typically evangelistic in meaning. And it's awesome. Like, the churches that God's called them to do that, that's amazing. Do that with all your heart. If you haven't noticed, that's not who we are, Right? I think sometimes we go to great lengths to accidentally confront you on your thinking and whatnot. It's not our intention to ruffle your feathers. It is our intention to go straight into the heart of God. So here, the way that we view Sunday morning church is very much like this. When you come, you are being equipped. This is not where you come and you just like see your friends, although that's great, do that. We want you to have friends in this room, right? It's not where you come to just check the box. This is where you come saying, God, you have something for me and I'm going to be discipled by my time in these chairs. I think when I made this change in my own personal heart to view church this way, I grew so much faster because I stopped looking at like, oh, the pastor's preaching on this, oh, I could care less about that because we do that sometimes, right? Oh my gosh, the worship song, this one again. Oh my gosh, right? And we get and we like allow ourselves to be frustrated. No, when we come, we say, listen, I am here because I want to grow. Then we quit being offended or annoyed by what's on the docket for the day, and we open our heart and say, How do I relate to this? Amen. How do I get this into myself? So this isn't like a shameless plug or anything like that, although I have no problem doing that. This is, I'm just saying, if we're going to be discipled, if we're going to have a healthy relationship to all of these categories, you have a free opportunity once a week to come and be equipped in this setting by being in this room or whatever church you decide is where God has positioned you to be, right? Our heart for you is not that you feel obligated to come, but that you feel excited to come because you know you're going to meet with God. And if that's not here, then we'll help you find somewhere that it is because that's what it looks like in the life of a believer. Amen? So I want to encourage you guys, and I can't stress this enough. I would love it if you guys would make it a priority to come on Sundays during this month in August because what we're talking about today, next week, and the week after, we have never talked about this stuff, at least not in this, not at Bethel. And so none of you can say, oh, I've heard that one before because you haven't. We're going to tell you stories over the next couple of weeks you've never heard before. We're going to talk about stuff that you've never heard, at least from us before. So my, my encouragement is make it a priority to come and learn this and see what you think afterwards. And then, of course, I am shamelessly asking, please come on our Bethel birthday because that's going to be awesome. So, all right, that's church. Now, the last thing I want to talk about today is um, equipping classes. Um, would you run on the where the iPad is? Grab one of those papers that I set out there. Um, so... 
In the equipping category of how we relate to discipleship, we really feel strongly we want to provide you guys opportunities to grow. We want to provide you opportunities with other people who are speakers from different places and some in our body that you have a chance to learn and grow from, right? We do this. We've been doing this all spring. In case you didn't know, we brought in like five different guest speakers. There are opportunities for you to be equipped, for you to learn, for you to encounter something different than what we do here. So we've come up with three different classes that we're going to be running over the course of the fall. These are not small groups. These are classes that are two weeks and then three weeks at a time. And so they're standalone. You don't have to come to all of them. You don't have to come to any of them. We're just encouraging you, hey, if something on this list looks, thank you, looks interesting to you, then make some plans to be here. We're doing a class on the prophetic. We're doing a class on the gift of healing, both physical healing and inner healing. And then we're doing a class on spiritual warfare and discernment, the gift of discernment, okay? So there are two weeks for the prophetic class, three weeks for the healing and inner healing, and then two weeks for the discernment spiritual warfare class. It's simple. These are Thursday nights at 7 o'clock here at the church. They're open to anybody. If you've got friends who've wanted to grow, bring them to this. Um, and we're just providing you opportunities to be in an equipping setting to learn and grow, Okay. So these papers are right outside where we keep our first-time visitor gifts box on the welcome desk right out there. You can grab them on your way home, and essentially this just gives you the dates of when those are happening. Here's what I would ask. If you want to come, try to come to the whole length of that class because they're going to build on each other, and so we want you to actually feel like you got equipped, right, that you didn't just learn one piece and didn't find out what to do with it, et cetera. Um, so that's happening. So... These are different from groups. Next week, we're going to be talking about our group's um, launch for the fall, which we've been talking about for some of you guys personally and talking about those that had questions about when are groups happening again and whatnot. That's coming next week. But this week, grab this paper. And I want you guys to think for a second as we wrap up this morning. How are you doing in these interactions? Okay? So if we're going for like a high five experience, right? If we're going for like a solid high five, not like a miss, but like a solid high five, then how are you doing with each five of these categories? And I think it's a good thing for us to take it in. You can take a picture of this if you want to, like, process it later at home. You could take that or whatnot or just, you know, burn it in your mind, stare at it for 60 seconds. Um, but I really want to encourage you. Do you feel like God is discipling you? We're not going to talk about this one in particular specifically because we've talked about it a lot, just not with this language. But do you feel like that? How's your time with the Lord? Do you feel like you have relationships with people who don't know Jesus? Do you have ideas of who those people could be? Same with mentoring. Same with peer groups. And then, of course, we've just spent a lot of time talking about the equipping classes. Have you put yourself in a setting where you can learn from someone that knows a little bit more or has more experience in a topic than you do? You guys tracking with me on that? All right. So let me say one more time. The goal of discipleship is to make them like him. So the pressure is off of you. There's no pressure on you to do something specific. It's just let God use you to help someone get closer to him. What we're not doing, we're not trying to become God to them. We're not trying to make them like us. And we're not trying to make people depend on us, right? It's a very unhealthy thing when that happens. We want people in our discipling of them to depend on God. So I'm going to pray to wrap us up. I'm going to pray for you that you become a great maker of disciples. If you don't want me to pray with that, just plug your ears, okay? <laughs> I'm only half kidding. Um, but I'm going to pray for us that God teaches us how to do this because what I know is that when we build infrastructure in the church, like when we build from relationships, man, we can't be stopped. 
right? When you know who to go to to learn, when you know who to go to to get care, all of these different categories, you become unstoppable in your life. So that's why we're focusing on this. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for um, teaching us how to make disciples. And Lord, I just pray for every single person in this room and listening to this that we would find it easy and exciting to go and make disciples for you and go and make disciples of all nations. Lord, I'm, thank I'm just thanking you in advance for the people who are going to be um, built up because of the investment of those in this room. And so, Father, I just pray, put it on our hearts. What area do we need to spend more time growing in? What area do we need to make a priority in our life right now? And I just bless every single person here this morning to thrive in you, to have a healthy heart, a healthy home, and really be excited about what you're doing in their life. In Jesus' name, amen.